So, Matt, what are we going to discuss today? What's up? No race this weekend. Oh, God. But a lot, a lot happened and a lot to speak about the, the last race. So, what do you want to do? I still haven't got over the weekend. I had quite a big weekend. <laughs> okay. <laughs> details, details. So, what are we going to talk about? Uh, we're going to, this is the, this is the big, this is the big final push. I guess that's what we're going to talk about. Something like that. Some, the usual bo bollocks, you know. Uh, Ducati, M Martin versus Banya. Whoa. It's... Yeah, well, the championship is so nicely shaping up. Uh, we have to do something with, with the contenders and, and, and who they are on what type of bikes they are. And, uh, and, you know, we have to do that. We have to speak about the, the guys who are going for the championship now because the, the, the sets of races yeah. that are coming now, yeah, I mean, yeah. what's going to be hard, what not, and so on. Yeah. We are, we are going into, unknown territory territory that MotoGP has never been in before I mean it's going to be literally there's never been an end of the season like this never in 75 bloody years so it's going to be pretty special and speaking of special we are not the first it's not a but you know Mark leaving Honda finally we all know so we have to say something about it I might start yeah, with that yeah, if no, you definitely. give me the mic because you're going to probably ask me how you think how i think he's going to do and i've got of course an opinion so <laughs> if we are not uh, if we still have some minutes please give me that one i'm keen to share it <laughs> we we really well that would be fantastic yeah that's what we want that's what we want we want to hear your expert engineers um, oh, 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 oh angle because that's what's really good about this podcast it's not me it's you peter it's all yours <laughs> oh, okay. I, know. I think it's time to push the record button uh, matt i think it's time to push the record button. okay so all right you cool. do the intro yeah of course you do i can't welcome to the oxley bomb moto gp podcast Okay, hey everyone. Hello. It's um, the Oxley Bomb MotoGP podcast, but back at, again with me, Matt Oxley. You know who? Old racer, old bloke, old idiot. With um, my fantastic podcast partner, another old bloke, not an idiot. <laughs> 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 yeah, Peter Bomb is here on this side, okay. former crew chief, a little bit data recording, a little bit journalist, master of all trade of none, of, no, that's the other way around, whatever. Master of all trades, Jack of none, that's the phrase, that's the phrase. <laughs> so what are we going to talk about this weekend? We're in the weekend off after um, India and Japan, and we are going into the literally the maddest period MotoGP has ever known. I mean, we've got six races over seven weekends over four continents. We've got Indonesia next week, then straight to Australia, then straight to Thailand, and a weekend off, and then straight to Malaysia, then straight to Qatar, and then straight to Valencia. I mean, it's utterly, utterly straight to the madhouse. Insane. <laughs> and anyone. I mean, the last few years, you know, when you get to, which have been getting that way, when you get to Valencia, oh my God, you know, the state, I mean, the rider's not so bad because, you know, they can, they get to hang out in the motorhomes and all that kind of stuff, but the mechanics and the rest of the teams, they look dead. So I just hate to think, and I, I've spoken to mechanics already this year who say they're really worried about what state they're going to be in when it comes to the last race, because not all, not all of them fly business class, you know, some of them nope. don't get any sleep on these planes, you know, they're just, so that's a bit of a worry, but anyway, um, 
what we really want to talk about to start with is Jorge Martin and Pekka Bagnaia and how that is going to shape up. They're obviously the two main men in the championship on the same bike. I mean, uh, I can't remember the last time two guys fought for the title on the same bike. It'd be uh, Jorge Lorenzo and Valentino Rossi, wouldn't it, really? I um, mean, you know how messy that got. <laughs> so so there's lots to talk about. So what, 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 what is your kind of, how do you see it panning out, Peter? <laughs> I hope it will last until Valencia, of course, because that gives us a reason to to go there and to stay awake and look forward to it. I've, I think it's going to last until Valencia because it's like, you know, it's like somebody wrote this script. The guys we end up with, okay, it's Ducatis, but this is the Ducati time anyway. Uh, two Ducatis 2023 and one 2022 Ducati in the fight for the championship is already unbelievable. Um, the fact that there is a 22 bike there as well, really up close, waiting for a mistake from one of the front guys. But the two guys that are going for it, Peko Banyaya and Jorge Martin, they are so different in character, but they are both of them equally more than capable to finish the job so i really hope uh i can live with whoever is going to win it i will live with it and i hope it's just gonna be like quite sort of normal races but both of them are really world champions now already in my eyes whatever's going to happen but they are so different and but we have to speak about Ducati as well. How are they going to manage this, uh, Matt? You, you've been in the paddock a little longer than me yeah. between factory teams and so on. And of course, they're all factory yes. bikes. Everybody's equal, but some are more equal than others. And, you know, if a Ducati is <laughs> going to be world champion, it has to be the red shirts. I don't believe anything anything that they that they say to make it sound like it's it's a less situation uh, i know uh paulo chibati said stuff like yeah but uh, don't forget jorge martin is a full factory rider he's contracted with us the salary the package everything is the same but it's not it's not the same team that's a matter of pride in italy especially in italy so yeah. it has to be the factory team yeah. but it's probably not going to be because if i have to put my money on somebody at the moment it will probably not be peco by a small margin yeah yeah i mean i mean the 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 factory team wants to win of course it does the red i, I think we should call them should we call them the red shirts versus the purple yep. shirts from now on <laughs> <laughs> um the, the the red shirts you know that they go out and get their sponsorship and everything and so they you know the sponsors want their their cut of their, their pound of flesh don't they so you know if 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 lenovo and shell and so on and so forth get beaten by you know prima and pramac and pramac. they won't like it they want to be champions so 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 of course um uh, of course the factory team want one Banyar to win, and you know all the the big men in the in in Ducati, uh, general course manager Gigi Delinia, um, sporting director Paolo Ciabatti, team manager David Tardozzi. They all they're the big three men at Ducati. They all work for the, the factory team. So I mean, for God, I, I really hope we don't get into a situation where something kind of happens to um, you know um, Martin's bike and everybody starts saying, oh, his his bike's been diddled by the factory or whatever. Oh yeah, conspiracies, conspiracies. Yeah. You know, you know, I mean, there will be conspiracy theories coming left, right and center if something like that happens. <laughs> I really don't hope. hope. No. I really hope that doesn't happen. Um, yeah, and, and and yeah, as riders, wow, so different. I mean, Peko to me, oh, I said this before, he kind of looks like a philosophy student. He looks like he wouldn't say boo to a goose. You know, he looks such a kind of timid, shy, normal sort of guy. You know, if you saw him walking down the street, you would just you wouldn't even notice him. You know what I mean? He's just this thin, slight little guy. If you think, see Martin, Martin has got that swagger, hasn't he? You know, he's got that. You know, he looks. 
he, you know, to me, he's just another ice cool killer, you know, um, and he looks it. He's to me, he's like Mark Marquez. He's like Ayrton Senna. You know, he's he's that kind of brand of, of just win by any means necessary. So, you know, and without a doubt, he's in the zone at the moment. But the, the problem is, you know, the thing is, can he stay in the zone? Because we talked about it before, the mind box, you know, be, be keeping your flow psychology in the same state from one race to the next. Oof, that is not easy just to turn up. I, I don't know what either of them are doing in this break between uh, Thailand and Malaysia. Most of these guys go go home because yep. they just want to get back to their training tracks and whiz back and forth. And, and I think you've got to do that because if you if you if you go and sit on a beach for ten days and have a really nice time, that's not that's not really the best preparation <laughs> for for racing six weeks. And you know you you need to be keeping yourself angry and hungry and racing round and round. If you sit on a beach and get to think, oh, this is nice, you know, that's just not going to prepare you very well for for, for trying to kill it kill each other in the last six races you know um oh, but... so i mean yeah my my money i i don't i don't really know i never know people say oh who do you think i just say i have no idea that's why i'm watching if i knew i, I wouldn't bother watching. but um <laughs> at the moment without a doubt it's it's martin but you know who knows at the next race it might all turn around again and uh, yep. so peter you, you can run us through kind of technically um how martin has sort of turned things around by kind of keeping the same arrow and all that kind of stuff you can tell us a bit about that he he was using the advantage of the guy that's not leading but hunting and what you do when you hunt somebody down you make sure you've got the same material than him because then you remove uh, the slightest type of doubt that you have he was on another arrow package and he was struggling so his reasoning was like okay i go to the same arrow package as the guy that's that's on the top of the box every weekend at the moment until i beat him and up up until that moment i don't change anything on my bike so that that's that's a huge advantage and he was clever enough to use it uh, just before it was too late and that helped him a lot it doesn't it doesn't necessarily prove that he was on the wrong arrow package but he was he was struggling with confidence things went sometimes really easy and suddenly he was on his ass and he couldn't link it and see the logic in it and all you do is make sure you have the same setting as the guy that is like like clockwork going around because there's no point in copying a guy like mark marquez but there is a lot of sense it makes a lot of sense to copy peko mayaya setting because he's clockwork riding around so from that moment on he started to be not only just on the same package but he started to find his mojo back and be so consistent um then there came the situation with the clutch and the starting devices and the lower right heights and so on i can't remember when when did when did when did ducati that was that was red bull ring wasn't it in august when martin uh, and bagnaro they both during the summer break ducati had worked out this new start device to try and kill the ducatis into turn one i yeah probably red bull ring probably red bull ring yeah I think it was Red Bull Ring, yeah, yeah, yeah. So they both got that, but yeah, but there have been a couple of changes. Yeah, they they unfortunately don't they don't really call me every time they have an update to tell me about <laughs> it. So we have to we have to have it from people insiders looking reading between lines. And there has happened a couple of things. Uh, the one thing that they cannot deny, so they speak about it openly, is a clutch. But that can be anything. Um, but there is definitely a new clutch in the Ducati. But at the same time, looking at some of the pictures, you can see the factory bikes just when they're ready to get off the start, they are already a couple of centimeters lower than the non-factory bikes than the 22 bikes so they also have a difference in the right height system just for the starts they are already a little bit lower and they have a different clutch and this brings me back to not only the advantage but also the dangers of being in a factory team remember last year when Paco struggled so long until he found he found his rhythm and his setting that's because the factory team leads the development leading the development means trying new things maybe thinking as a punk it's the best thing i ever tried only to learn later in Geres that fuck 
fuck, why am I crashing? Why am I crashing again? And after four races, you learn that it wasn't the best thing. It was only working as a punk and you lose a lot of points. So Peko learned from that and he's on a very um, conventional bike. I think that even Peko is one of the few riders at the moment on the grid that does not use the 150 millimeter stroke Ölens mm. carbon front fork that almost everybody else has. I think he didn't, I'm sure he didn't have them in the beginning of the year. They homologated them. Recent pictures I studied, I still think he's not on it because he burned his fingers last year. He wanted to have everything standard, but he also wanted to start quicker than the KTMs because they had the edge over the, over the Dukes. So they came up with something and the factory teams had it first. And for whatever reason, and I want to speak about it, but obviously we are not sure. This made, created a new problem for Peggle that before he realized it, he was already on his ass and lost some points. You know, this, this starting, the clutch that is changed for the start, the clutch has a lot of functions. It's not only to leave the pit box, uh, but it's also made for the start. And in the same time, when you don't use it as a rider, it has to do its job by slipping a little bit, but not too much in a very controlled way at a certain amount of back torque. It has to open a little bit, uh, not too long and not too wide, just exactly there to keep the rear wheel on the ground and to use the rear wheel for the braking. But it's a parallel system that works in combination, but it's not linked technically to the engine brake system, to the way how far we open the throttle bodies during the braking phase in order to, again, use the rear wheel for stopping the bike. And this new clutch made problems for Peko and not for Jorge Martin. And it's interesting to think about that because it created like the rear wheel hopping and it was, yeah, it was you more like not really call it chatting, I mean, chatter, this, this but it's like hopping with... around under him during hard straight line braking and then you... Yeah, and then you lose you lose the control. This started with Banaya in um, in Misano, wasn't it? So so, but he yeah, wasn't yeah. because he was coming back from his leg injury then. So he thought, well, maybe I'm sitting on the bike different. Maybe I'm loading the bike different, and the back's hopping around. Uh, but when he went when we went to India, oh my God, it was so Jesus. The bike was all over the place. I mean, I hadn't seen a Ducati yeah. that out of shape for well since Stoner was around, probably exactly. Casey Stoner. But um, yeah, every time he was coming into the corner, the thing was hopping all over the place. So he was obviously in real trouble there and we went to Mategi well they had and they'd fixed it you know I mean yeah, I, I was amazed they didn't I mean, fix a big it compliment in the three days. Yeah? a big compliment between yeah. the races I, I so he's right saying didn't... I have full confidence sorry yeah I, I was amazed that they didn't fix it in the three days at, at, at Bud in, in India you know it was bad on Friday <laughs> it was bad on Saturday and it was still bad on Sunday you know which was I mean I think it would got better but it was still bad yeah you're, you're but, right in that but fuck well they, they completely we went to Mategi and if they hadn't got it right for Mategi then I would have been huge problem if the race had been in the dry yeah, yeah because Motegi is all about straight line braking because um you know Motegi is all about yeah. brake, all about yeah. brake. So Ducati to fix that problem just in time. So they fixed it by halfway backpedaling half of it with the new clutch, making making an, an, an hybrid situation of the old clutch and the new clutch, trying to keep the advantages because it is definitely a quicker starting bike with the new clutch, but they wanted to take out the problem. What What is interesting for me, and we will never really know, but I, I can only guess, and that's what we're doing here all the time, basically, is why Jorge Martin didn't have that problem because it's such an interesting phase in motor racing the moment that the guys crept the brake and then that moment from the first moment that they touched the front brake until they have more or less the knee on the ground that total time that area is so important and so difficult because it's so complex so many things come together at a time there so when you see a rear wheel hopping around the first thing you think about oh is hard rear spring is ride height is too much top of spring is not working but currently it can be not only just also the front suspension but obviously it can be the clutch it can be the engine brake it can 
can be almost anything and in case also the clutch in this case um, they went a little bit back with the clutch to solve it for him the reason that Jorge didn't have it for me is more or less like luck he has an, just a little bit different style of braking in the end they all brake more or less on the same point they have the same deceleration but the way they get to that deceleration the way they take out the speed in a short possible time with it with this vehicle is quite different and it is the whole sequence of how you come up how quickly you build up your brake pressure um and how you behave yourself with your body on the bike at that moment so there's a lot of small things that can make a huge difference and obviously look at the difference i mean jorge is a small guy so he's already doing things differently smaller arms short shorter but they're fatter i'd say <laughs> yeah 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 um it reminds me of something and it sounds very different but it's maybe a little bit similar I spoke with uh, with the crew behind Toprak in the World Superbike, and they told me they went to another to another diameter of the master brake cylinder to make the front brake um, less aggressive in the initial bite. You, if you take a, uh, a bigger diameter master cylinder, you have to add more force with your fingers before you really have the same braking performance. And that was the only way to prevent Toprak from lifting the rear so so early and so violently. Because if you lift the rear, after that you're a passenger on the bike the whole deceleration phase is fucked because you can try to put it back on the ground yeah. and start again but if you were braking really late you're too late unless you're top right <laughs> so it's a whole sequence of things that has to do with it and it starts with how the rider moves and apparently Peko was a little bit unlucky there but remember Peko is in the factory team and he is therefore leading the development him and Enea Bastianini decided the direction in the winter test for the development and it's easy to make uh, to choose something a little bit wrong um, and I think in this case when the when the, when it was like um, an upgrade that came in the season they they wanted the upgrade so badly at Ducati that they uh, took the risk and paid the price for it at Peko's side by having a couple of points uh, left on the table yeah I mean, I mean that, that, that's you know people always say oh you've got such an advantage in the factory team blah 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 but you know the, there's also disadvantages is that, that you know that yep. trying new stuff <laughs> especially in the Italian factory team <laughs> pleasure pleasure like you say you try it at one track and it doesn't doesn't work at the next three so, so you, you, you can and it can be a negative as well as a positive. I, I think, you know, the interesting thing to me was that, um, you know, Pekka, had, not only did he have problems with the clutch and the stopping and everything, at Mazzano, where, where, where kind of um, uh, Martin really came alive, I think, you know, he said that the big change to him was that he'd done something to his braking technique. Um, so that kind of, you know, and that was always Banaya's uh, imp hugely impressive thing was that he could stop yep. shorter, quicker than anybody else. And, and like you say, that, that you know, the braking phase, you know, it, it's where you have to risk the most. You're coming out of a corner, you've got the TC, you've got the torque map all kind of set up to kind of make life easy for you. Too easy. Going, going into the corner, there's, <laughs> easy. there's nothing. <laughs> to make life easy for you it's basically you squeezing the front brake moving your body around you know get, trying to get your weight in the right place using the rear brake now as well really important then what a lot of them do and uh, and that's actually what Banaya said with his braking problem that he could no longer slide the rear into the corners controllably with that new clutch and and you know that is so important now we see Binder do it all the time a lot of the riders say you cannot brake in a straight line with these bikes anymore 
because it will overload the front tire. What you have to do is immediately kick out the rear tire so that you're you're basically skidding into the corner and you're using the rear to scrub off speed. So um, and, and I'd say Banyard does that more than Martin actually. So you know, so Martin's obviously got better with his braking. It always amazes me. You speak to engineers, you know, and, and you will know this because you are one. You know, they say to their riders, right? Well, what you need to do is like after after the first grab of the brake, you need to try and into that corner. You need to use like two bar more as you're going into the corner on the brake. And, and I just like what? So you you're coming into a corner at 200 miles an hour. See, okay, right. Well, what I want to do now? And you're trying to brake. You know, the old Schwantz thing. See God, then brake. You're trying to do that. And then you're thinking, yep. right now, what I've got to try and do is use 1.5 bar more at this point, precise point. I mean, how on earth? Do, do, I mean, it's just mind-boggling, and, and and that's why I love my motorbike racing, basically. And you know, there's also the psychology. How, how are they going to? Because this pressure that they're going to be under is going to be insane. L- let alone the, the sort of run of races and so on. But just the personal pressure that they're under, and and you know, going back a million years to when I raced at, at, at a obviously much lower level at Suzuki Great Ira stuff. I can I can remember now feeling before races, not knowing what it was then, but knowing now, and and basically you're on the verge of a bloody ba- panic attack that's basically what oh, you're doing yeah. you know your body is used to it your, your brain is used to dealing with it so you deal with it but now looking back you know and ha- you know occasionally you have panic attacks in life you know when everything everything's building up and going sh- to shit and you think god that's exactly what i felt like before a race you know you, you you're, you're terrified because you know a you can hurt yourself b you can fuck up c you know you can just get beaten there's a million things that can go wrong and and not everything is under your control and and you know that that's the, the other thing I love about racing, apart from, you know, being awed by these guys with the start of a race. And, and, and I know it'll be the same for Bagnaia and Martin. You know, you're terrified, you're terrified, you're nearly having a panic attack. And then the lights go out and that all just disappears in like 0.01 seconds. And then it's all awesome from that point on you know and you need to be you need to be that terrified because it's so difficult and so dangerous if you're too chill too relaxed you will not have the speed of reaction you will not even put it all on the line so it's it's really difficult a situation you have to be really scared to that to be able to do what they're doing so they, they are sitting there on the bikes and it takes for sure forever for them before they're really allowed to go and they are just like scared i'm sure they're, they're scared they don't want to do it anymore they want to go to the motorhome yeah. and go to sleep but in the end that's the right state yeah, of mind yeah. to have because when they finally released and they can close the visor then it's suddenly you your bike and everything is peaceful and we are ready to go to battle but speaking about the, the stress of this title fight Matt with all the stress because now we have races in a row uh, where in between you need to fly a lot because you spoke a little bit earlier about sitting on, on the beach will not help you a lot well they're basically sitting in aeroplanes all the time they might sit in business but they're still yeah. sitting in aeroplanes all the time and with the stress of all these races in a row all these time differences you know the jet lag um key will be to have a really good confidence and a very stable situation around you that that will be the key for the guy who's going to win this championship because there is just no time to go and sit and meditate on a mountaintop to get your mojo back when you have a little bit of doubt about confidence there is there is you can speak to nobody because in a couple of hours there's the next session the next day there is another qualifying session there's already a sprint day and then it's sunday then you're in the airport and then you're already in the hotel in two days again so you need to have that that you need to keep that momentum coming for you and at the moment i think jorge is just one step ahead of peco in this area but having said that remember the words of franco morbidelli when he spoke about peco a couple of months ago he said peco is a rock solid a rock solid so yeah. we are in for something yeah no d- definitely and, and i mean kind of both of them are you know in that situation where they're 
separated like basically bugger all points now and and you know both of them are in this kind of horrible prison where they they know you know if they make one mistake if they crash it's probably over whereas Bezeki in third place he's like 50 odd points back he's like got nothing to lose you know if, if he crashes out again it kind of doesn't really matter because he was already pretty much out of it anyway but he can he can happily take risks because he's got nothing to lose, whereas the others have got to take risks, but they cannot afford to crash. So, so that's pretty, pretty important. And of course, next year, um, we'll quickly talk oh, yeah. about next year. <laughs> um, there will be to. another Ducati rider. <laughs> <laughs> you know where I'm going. Yep. So, um, on Wednesday, Honda announced that hip, uh, they and Marquez have parted ways and everybody's, you know, we've been talking about this for bloody months, haven't we? Well, no, we haven't because we don't speculate, do we? But, um, <laughs> because it's all kind of bullshit, really. It's all people guessing and talking to people who are lying. You know, you speak to a rider or a manager or a team boss about something and they all just lie to you. Of course they do. So what's the point? Just wait until somebody actually says something official like like Delinia did on Sunday uh, at Mateki and like Honda did on Wednesday and now you know what's happening so uh, how, how do you see knowing what you know Peter what, how do you think Marquez will gel with the Ducati well I can quote a famous British MotoGP rider that just was with the wildcard in Mateki and he said if Mark will be on a Ducati the, might as, the rest of them might as well not turn up you know but that's not how I see the case um, it's going to be yeah. so interesting to see what he's going to do but uh, and if he jumps on the bike that's at the moment winning all the races still it will not be easy because these new generation bikes, he's never, he never was in his life on a new generation bike. He was always on an old generation bike where they put it a little bit of a wing left and right and up and down, but they really had no idea what they were doing. I mean, he was until recently back to back going to full all the arrow they have to no arrow to a half arrow and just as fast with whatever they put under him. So basically they had still had no idea what they needed at Honda. So Mark was never on a new generation bike that relies and depends for doing his lap time so much on the, on the aerodynamics. So so that will be a new challenge for him. So he will be challenged. Um, his intelligence as a rider will be questioned. You know, that will be challenged to do that. But I have very, very little to no doubt that he will adapt to it. He will be a new mark, a different mark, having to ride a bike completely different. But I have very little doubt that he will not uh, learn it. There have been riders that failed a lot when they changed the class or changed the bike because they are just, I think it was Wayne Rainey called them one trick ponies. You know, they could do only one thing on one bike. Yeah and not on something else and not everybody gets two years like uh, Jorge Lorenzo got with the Ducati until he started winning so but Mark is a completely different animal he will take so he will take some time to extract the best but then 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 he will he is intelligent enough to know that he has to adapt to the bike and you know remember his comment I think it was yeah I'm not, I don't think after Misano in Misano he was following Dani Pedroso who did a wild card on the KTM now he knows Dani inside out because he was his teammate for many years he was following Dani on the KTM ATM who did a, a, a very, very special uh, performance over there. And he said, after that, he said, Dani was riding the bike exactly in the perfect way that bike needs to be ridden. Mind the words that he chose. He didn't say, ah, oh, Dani was riding unbelievable. Oh, Dani is such a good rider. Or the KTM so fast on the straight. No, Dani was exactly riding this bike how it needs to be ridden. No, not really surprised because he develops it. But the way Mark chooses his words, for me, is already very yeah. clear that he understands there are differences yeah. between bikes. Yeah. You have to adapt to a bike and then you extract the best from it. But having said that, yeah. Mark yeah. never adapted completely to a bike. Any bike Mark jumped on in his complete life 
immediately within two laps he was overriding it whether it was a 125 ktm whether it was a supermoto 2 yeah. or it was any honda rcv they put yeah. underneath him he was immediately overriding the team the thing and be fast with it and got away with it so he's 30 years all his life overriding bikes and that made him faster so it's really deep in his system to override immediately the bike because then the left arm will come he knows with his brain he shouldn't do it I'm curious if he can behave this time, Mark, because after 30, you don't learn yeah. a lot of new tricks. You are very, very experienced, but new tricks, I'm curious. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and I know that he, he, he doesn't really like aero. He, you know, he wants to ride free. The way, I mean, you know. Oh, but he likes podiums. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. He, he knows he's got to go down that road, but he would prefer lights to ride without aero because, you know, there's the old way of riding was a natural way of riding. It's like a normal, like anybody would ride a bike, but 10 times faster. The way you ride an aero MotoGP bike is very different. It's kind of, you know, you, you've got to ride the way the engineer tells you. You know, in the old days, you just went out and did your thing, used your talent, whether you were Mick Doohan, Valentino Rossi, Mark Marquez, and you went around faster than anybody else without, with the engineer probably, but barely telling you anything, you know, comparably. Whereas now it's like, well, you've got to stick your knee out there. Don't stick your knee out there because it will stall the aero. Diddle, diddle, do take that line you might want to go around that corner on that line but the arrow doesn't want, won't want you to do that so exactly so yeah. um you know you know blah 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 so we'll see one, one final thing i wanted to say um about the, the the whole ducati marquez ktm thing was um you know it's kind of kind of quite strange in a way that ktm the the, the way things have turned out because you remember, you know, originally the talk was all about Marquez going to KTM and um, KTM went to Dorna and said, can we have two extra split bike? You know, can we have a new team, a third, a third team, six bikes on the grid? For the dream team, actually. Yeah. Acosta, Marquez. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. With a, and, and Dorna said no. And I think the reason they said no is because they wanted to keep Marquez at Honda because they were worried that Honda might go if he if he if he left. But um, around that time. Grazzini was still negotiating with Ducati for their next contract. So Dorna could have said to Grazzini, well, go to KTM. Don't, don't, stop talking to Ducati and go to KTM. And, and then, then next year we would have, we would have had six uh, Ducatis on the grid and six KTMs, which I think is a, <laughs> is a much nicer situation than, than we have at the moment with eight Ducatis, which is just, you know, one factory having twice as many bikes as anybody else is a, is a bit absurd. But anyway, I, I, I kind of just thought that was worth saying a kind of really, um, quite, quite an odd situation that, that Dorna didn't kind of make that happen, but maybe it wasn't within their power. I don't know. But anyway, all right, guys, can't wait for this. Um, I'm off to Indonesia in a couple of days. And that's a long trip, Hong Kong, Jakarta, Lombok, blah, blah, blah. Um, and then, uh, yeah, so Indonesia, Australia, Thailand, Malaysia, Qatar, Valencia. It's um, absolutely insane, but we'll see how it goes. And uh, I can't wait. I'm sure all of you can't. Uh, thanks for listening. Uh, we'll be back next Sunday from Mandalika. And um, thanks, Peter, for being with us once again. And thanks to Sam, our producer. And uh, we'll see you all next week. Cheers then. Bye-bye.